in God's boundaries. Let it never be said that our people don't have a sense of humor. In the first service, a dear lady walked up to me and handed me this right here. And she said, I want you to give this to Kathy when you get home. And she said, but you can go ahead and look in there if you want to. And she said, it's just for y'all. And I said, okay. And I pulled it out. And that's what it is. <laughs> now, if you're with us, if you weren't here last week, you don't know why this is funny. My dog got skunked last week. And when he got skunked, it happened on a Saturday night, church night, at about 1130. We got to bed about two that morning with our whole house smelling like a skunk. So she said, I want you to give this to Kathy. And I said, I'll do you better. Can I give it to my dog? My dog will run the other direction because even though he's free of it, the collar is still smells like a skunk. So here you go. No, All right. Um, the Lord is good. I got a real kick out of that. So will Kathy. And Ollie will run the other way for sure. My mother is here. Mother, raise your hand where everybody can see you. Hello, Mom. <clears throat> and... My sister, Janae. Raise your hand, Janae. And my nephew, Jared. All right. That's one of my three sisters, and Kathy is still under the weather. And so I want you to pray for her. I'm believing she's going to be better when we get home. But uh, she's had this for about almost a week now, and we're going to pray for her. And we did pray for her. So she sends her love, but she can't talk. She couldn't say hello to you even if she came. So let's look today at a very important passage. I want to teach you today out of the Word of God about the battle between good and best. And this passage is wonderful. There are three things in it. Let me show it to you quickly. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. So out of that we get there is a good and there is a best. The good is lawful. The beneficial is the best. Second thing, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. It should edify if you're going to do it as a Christian. It should edify. And then third, many things are permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Very important. Look what that verse says. If I'm going to do it to the glory of God, then number one, it ought to be best. Number two, it ought to edify. And number three, it ought to not bind me. So let's pray over this, and I want to talk to you today about that good and best issue. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray for divine illumination and power and anointing to touch this word. I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks the yoke of bondage and sheds light to the, the human heart and edifies and exhorts and comforts will come right now, and that anointing will rest on this message. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him, go for the best. And you can be seated. Now last time, if you'll remember, we saw that the call of every Christian is to glorify God. Now I'm called to preach. I've been preaching since I was 18 years old. But that's not my highest calling. My highest calling is to bring glory to God. Now, it doesn't matter what you do. 
It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter how much money you make, what color, uh, color your skin is, where you're from. If you're married, single, it doesn't matter. What your background is, it does not matter. If you're a believer, you're called to glorify God. The Bible says that He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light that we should show forth His praises. So we're not just called to heaven, but as long as we're on this earth, we're called to glorify God. Can you say with me, I'm called to glorify God. Now, we saw last time that when you're faced with a gray area, several options or two options or more are in front of you. It's a gray area. You don't know what to do. You can ask yourself three questions based on the passage we just read. And by those three questions, they will judge whether something is to the glory of God. So I want you to remember these three, three questions. Here you are, faced with an option. What do you do? You've got to ask yourself, is it best? First. Second, does it build others up? Does it edify? Can I do this to the edification of other people? Because the Bible says that. Third, does it bind? Is it best? Does it edify? Does it bind? Now, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to deal with every one of those. Today, I want to talk about, is it best? Next week, very, very powerful, don't miss it. Am I my brother's keeper? And then the third week, God doesn't want me chained. If you're going to do something to the glory of God, it won't bind you. But now today, let's talk about the, the battle between the good and the best. I want you to know, first of all, it's a real revelation. There is a good and there is a better or a best. And sometimes good is the greatest enemy of the best. Some people live only for good and never reach for the best, but God's called every believer, I believe, to reach for the best because the best is always to the glory of God. Now, let's look at this. The Old Testament story that I think reveals the battle between good and best better than any other is the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham and Sarah, the Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. When God approached Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said to him, I'm going to give you descendants. And through your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Incredible promise. Abraham, through your descendants, the entire world is going to be blessed. So you got to have a child. So they were promised a child. And when they were promised a child, here's how old they were. Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. Now, in those days, that's like our 40 and 30. So at 75 years old and 65 years old, this couple was told by God that they're going to have a child. And that child was going to be special, be a child of promise. And through that child, the entire world would experience a blessing from God. So they say, praise God, amen, hallelujah, what a great promise. Yet weeks turned into months, and months stretched into years. Year after year after year, there was still no child, no child. And they began to wonder, and they began to doubt. The Bible says in Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now when this happened, and it often happens with you and me, that between the promise and the provision, there is a wait. There is a lag time. 
And that lag time is almost always longer than we think it should be. And in that lag time, our faith is tested. We wonder if we heard God. We wonder if it's real. We wonder if God's ever going to answer. And in that lag time, it's the worst time of temptation to do something about it yourself, to meet your need yourself apart from the will of God. To take, how, how many of you have ever tried to help God out? Come on, how many of you ever tried to help God out? Well, God's apparently having a problem bringing His promise to pass, so I believe I'll just step in and help God out. But how many of you learn the hard way it doesn't work out when you decide to help God out? You usually get into trouble when you decide to help God out. Well, Abraham and Sarah were no different. They were just like you and me. And they decided to help God out. The Bible says Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham, we're going to have to help God out. Man, he promised us when you were 75 and I was 65. And years have gone by, and we still have no child. So the Bible says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. The Bible says he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, you need to know, you need to understand today that uh, in Abraham's day, this sort of arrangement was acceptable. Remember last week I was talking to you about Christian liberty and how you can have liberty to do a lot of things, but they're not necessarily beneficial. There is an acceptable will and there is a perfect will. There are things you can get by with. They're not God's highest will. They won't send you to hell, but they're not God's highest will. And so there is an acceptable, there, is, there, there are things you can get by with and not get in trouble with God, but they're not God's best for you. They are not what God really has for you if you would wait on God to bring to pass His promise. So they weren't doing anything wrong. The Ten Commandments had not yet come through Moses because Moses had not yet come. So it was not deemed sinful or wrong, this little arrangement they made with Hagar. But the Bible is very clear that though it was acceptable and though it was permissible, it was not God's best. And you and I are faced with this kind of thing all the time. When we're waiting on God, believing God, we've got a promise, and we're waiting to see God bring it to pass. And yet it doesn't come to pass, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and, and we reach out for something that is good, and we settle for good, but we don't wind up with God's best. Let me give you an example. You want to get married if you're single. And you're just believing that one day you're going to be married. And I guarantee if you want to get married really bad, you are going to be on the hunt and you are going to end up married. Now, if you get married, the Bible says that's a good thing. The Bible says it's not good that man should be alone. But here's what we want for you. Not just that you get married, but that you marry well. What do you mean by that, Pastor Jeff? I mean they've got your faith. 
They've got your walk. You complement each other spiritually. They, you complement each other's calling. You become a team. They're not a drag on you and you're not a drag on them. It is a coupling in God that brings glory to God. You can marry and you can marry well. And that's where there's a good and there is a best. The Bible is clear when Abraham and Sarah made this decision and Abraham and Hagar got together and had a child, it was acceptable, it was permissible, but it was not the best. It didn't flow from faith, it flowed from unbelief. They were trying to help God out. It was their idea, not God's idea. It came from the will of men, not the will of God. It was birthed in the flesh and not in the spirit. It was not a work of faith, it was a work of the the self-will of men. Paul says in Galatians 4 about this, the son of the slave woman, Hagar, was born by human connivance. He says that in Galatians 4. So Paul, looking back by the Holy Ghost, says that child, Ishmael, was born by human connivance, not the will of God. Now hold that thought. And let's jump ahead 15 years. Now Sarah is 90. Abraham's 100. And the Bible says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him and Sarah was 90. Everybody say glory to God. Way to go, Abraham and Sarah. But now... Watch this. Here's what the Bible's telling us. With these two children, you've got a perfect picture of the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit, the work of faith and the work of unbelief. You've got a perfect picture of the will of man and the will of God. You've got a perfect picture of what you and I want and what we don't want. Because on the one hand, you have a child born out of connivance, out of the human will. God did not get glory out of it. And on the other hand, you've got a child that was born by faith, by the supernatural power of God. He was a work of the Holy Spirit, lest any flesh should glory. In, in one, you've, Paul says you've got a picture of bondage, and in the other, you've got a picture of freedom. In one, you've got good, and the other, you've got best. There wasn't anything wrong with Ishmael. He wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong with him. He was a good young man, and Abraham loved him. But he was the good. He was the good. He was the settle for. He was, the, he was man's best effort. But here with Isaac, you had the work of faith, the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the son, the child of promise. Now, as a believer, what do you want? Do you want Ishmael or do you want Isaac? Do you want the work of faith or the work of the flesh? Do you want God glorified or man glorified? Do you want the will of God or do you want your will? In life, folks, we are regularly faced with the option of an Ishmael or an Isaac. An Ishmael, something I reached out for, something I made happen, or an Isaac, something that God brought to pass. You have been born not of the will of men, but of the will of God by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. So you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith. Now, having been born of the Spirit, 
by the miraculous power of God, do you then live your life out seeking after Ishmael's? No, you do not. Having been born by the power of the Spirit, let's reach for God's best at every turn in our life. Come on, everybody. Now, when I see these two children, Ishmael and Isaac, here's what you see in the Word of God. The Bible says that after the birth of Isaac, trouble visited the house of Abraham. It says in Genesis 21, 8 through 10, on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the sun, now she looked out the window. It's a great day, celebration. Wow, look at this. We're weaning Isaac. Here's the son of promise. But she looked out the window, and here's what she saw. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking Isaac. Oh, there's a message there. That word mocking in the Hebrew language means to laugh, to scorn, to make sport of somebody. Paul again talks about this in Galatians 4. He said, at that time, the son born through human effort persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And then he adds these five words. It is the same now. The word persecuted that Paul uses means to put to flight, to follow after, to taunt, to harass, to vex. It's telling us that that which was born of the Spirit and that which was born of the flesh were two completely different people, two completely different circumstances, two completely different attitudes. And what had been born of the flesh began to persecute and taunt and vex and harass that which had been born of the Spirit, and it is the same now. You can't have the flesh and the Spirit in the same house. You can't, boy, I'll tell you, this is a word. I would get this CD if I was you and give it to somebody. Because let me tell you what happens with people. They say, well, I'm saved now, so I can just live my life the way I want to. I got Christian liberty. And they go out and they start birthing a whole bunch of Ishmaels. And then when they begin to reach for the best, when they begin to really sell out to the Lord, you find that that which was Ishmael in your life turns around and bites you and begins to persecute that which God has birthed by the Spirit. You can't have the flesh and the Spirit in the same house. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve the flesh on one side and the Spirit on the other. They will chew each other up. They will destroy one another. In the Old Testament, it was a law. You could not yoke together an oxen and a mule. Because the mule would bite and harass and drag and pull on that oxen. The oxen was subservient to the master, would do anything that the master led it to do. But that mule would stop and eat a tin can, would stop and eat anything, would pull on that oxen, would, would be a drag on the team. And God said, you can't yoke them together. And what you've got with the oxen and the mule, what you've got with Isaac and Ishmael, what you've got with the flesh and the spirit are the same thing. If you're going to walk with God, walk with Him with all of your heart and go for the best. If you're not going to walk with God, amen. I said at the early service, it was kind of strong, but I said, hey, if you're not going to walk with the Lord, go on to the house. Somebody else needs your chair. It's time. 
It's time. With the devil tromping across this country, it's time. With darkness closing in, it's time. Uh, While we see such a battle between God and the forces of the enemy for every believer to stand up and be counted and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh and shine. Everybody say with me, it's time for me to shine. Tell your neighbor, shine. Now turn to the other side and tell them too. <laughs> now here's, here's, here's the principle we're going to see, that the story of Abraham shows us this, that one of the two will have to go for the other to survive. One of the two will have to go for the other to survive. If you want to If you want to go for the good, the best is going to have to go. If you want to go for the best, the good is sometimes going to have to go. But you can't live one with the other. Sarah finally had to put her foot down. Sarah saw the writing on the wall. She knew, i got to do something here. So look at what Sarah did. I mean, Mama was not happy. And I want you to listen to what she said. She turned around to Abraham who's standing there. And she's about, to, he's, she's about to dress him down. Watch this. You think the Old Testament people aren't real? Listen to this woman. Get rid of that slave woman and her son. I don't hear Abraham saying, now wait a minute, let's talk about this. I picture him frozen up against the wall. She says, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. Oh, we got a conflict between the flesh and the Spirit, between the good and between the best. Now, good thing, God spoke into the situation so they didn't have to duke it out. And ladies, I want to give you some good news. God agreed with the woman. God agreed with the woman. And I told the first service this. I said, guys, and I'm going to say it to you guys, Sometimes when your wife tells you something and you have a problem with it, go off and see if God doesn't tell you whether or not she was right. And if he says she was right, it saves you a fight. Because God stepped into it and said, hey, he said, Abraham, you're going to have to do that. Now look at what God said. He said, do what Sarah has asked you to do. Ishmael must leave. Because Isaac is the son of the promise. Now I want you to listen carefully to me today, church. Abraham was a normal guy. This boy, Ishmael, is now 15 years old. He's taking him hunting. He's taking him fishing. He's had talks with him. He loves this boy. He loves Ishmael. It's his son. And God says he has to go. Now, here we come down to the cross in your life and mine. There are times when the cross will come into your life, into your circumstances, into your walk. And Jesus will say, it's time for you to pick up your cross. And when you pick up your cross, it's never a good feeling. It doesn't give you a warm fuzzy. A cross is not meant to feel good. It is not something you look forward to. But a cross appears when something's got to die or go. Jesus said, pick up my cross daily and follow me. He that doesn't pick up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. There is a cross. 
And though the cross had not happened yet, the will of God, represented by the cross, stepped into this situation right here. The will of God stepped in. And the will of God said, Abraham, Ishmael's got to go. I think it tore his guts apart. Twice in the Bible, when I read about Abraham, I weep both times. Because two times, the will of God tore him apart. Once here, when he had to let Ishmael go. And the second time, when he had to put Isaac on the altar and raise that knife, and God stopped him. He had that long walk to the mountain. And both times, the will of God was tearing him apart. There are times, folks, where the will of God will not be easy, but it's always beneficial, and it always brings the glory of God. This is not a hard word. This is normal Christianity. There are times when you've got to pick up the cross, and you've got to let something go. Do you know that the Bible tells us that once Abraham sent Ishmael away, he never saw him again? The deep rupture in the family was never repaired. Sarah and Hagar never became buds. And as far as we know, the only time Isaac and Ishmael ever met again was at Abraham's funeral. There was a parting of the ways, the good from the best. Sarah said, the best can't thrive as long as the good is still in the house, vying for the attention of the best, competing with the best. The, the best has got to be allowed to remain, and the good has got to go. There are times you've got to say goodbye. Is anybody hearing me today? There's times you've got to say goodbye. If we live lives of settle for and never reach for the best, those things we deem good can come back to bite us. Abraham learned in the crucible of experience what our children had better learn early, and here it is. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. You say, I'm a a believer. Whatever I do, God will forgive me. He'll forgive you, but you're still going to have consequences. Well, that's not fair. Oh, that's totally fair. God's told you ahead of time. You do that, there's going to be consequences. Grace will forgive you. But grace can't move the consequences. No one made him sleep with Hagar 15 years earlier, not anybody. It may have seemed like a good idea at the the time. It was permissible. He had liberty to do it. But his motivation was wrong. He never dreamed that sleeping with Hagar would lead to so much heartache and confusion. Never entered his mind. He had likely, no doubt, justified in his own mind this was the best way to make her happy. You know, guys, if you're not careful, that little saying, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I believe in keeping mama happy. But if God tells you to do something, you better do it. It didn't work out that way for Abraham, and it never, ever does. When we compromise our standards, lower our convictions, or when we try to take a moral or an ethical shortcut, it's never blessed in the end and it never works out for your good, never guaranteed. Write it down, mark it down. If you take an ethical, moral shortcut, it will never work out in the end and never be blessed. There's the beginning of a thing and the end of a thing. The beginning may look good, but the end will tell the story. Abraham learned the hard way as he watched his son, Ishmael, walk down the lonely road toward the desert, never to see him again. Pain. You choose your own will and you choose something against God's will, promise you, you're going to hurt for it. 
you're going to have pain. Now, on a lighter note, Abraham's experience also reveals four key characteristics of God's best. How do I know that I'm walking in God's best? How do I know how God's best comes to me? What are the characteristics of God's best? Let me give them to you quickly. Are you ready? Say amen. Amen. All right, here they are. First, God's best will always be a fulfillment of God's word. Remember I told you this. See this book? God will never lead you to do a wrong thing, an immoral thing, or an unethical thing to bring about His will. He never will. If you want God's best, God's best will come to you in the form of the fulfillment of God's Word. You see, the Bible says that about Abraham, then God did with Abraham and Sarah what He had promised. This was God's promise. It was His Word to them. They didn't have the Bible. It hadn't been written. But He had a Word from the throne room of God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. And through that child and His descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He had a Word from God. And when did God's best come? God's best did not come from their own best effort. But God's best came in the form of the fulfillment of the promise and the Word of God. I love a verse that God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet. Man, you ought to grab hold of this one and take it home and remember it tomorrow. He said, for I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. When God gives you a word and he's given you a whole Bible full of promises, you know what God does? God watches over that word. You wonder what God's looking at? He's looking at the promises he got over your life. And he's watching over that word. He's watching over that word until what he has promised you comes to pass. His word of provision, he's watching over it. His word of healing, he's watching over it. His word of restoration, he's watching over it. His word of deliverance, he's watching over it. His word to guide you, he's watching over it. God is watching over the word he's spoken over your life, and he's going to bring it to pass. The Lord will perfect that which concerns you. So when God's best comes to you and me, we can always go to the Bible and say, wow, that was the fulfillment of his word. Now, the second characteristic of God's best is this. God's best will come in God's timing, which is always perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but I classically, historically have a problem with God's timing. I've never really gotten along very well with God's timing. Because me and God, we don't think the same. See, it seems to me that He just takes forever. Sometimes I look up and say, what in the world are you waiting for? But see, God sees what I don't see. And He knows what I don't know. And there is a thing in the Bible called the fullness of time. And see, when we get a word from God, our problem is we think because He gave us the word that right then it's about to enter our life. And we have no idea that between the promise and the provision, there is a lag time. There is a drag time. There is a long time. And it's during that time we get tempted to take matters into our own hands. But God has got a timing. Now, every woman understands this. When a woman goes to the doctor and she is told the magic words, you're pregnant, she doesn't head straight for the hospital and say, here it comes, here it comes. 
No, she begins to get the room ready. She has her parties. She gets all the little rattles and toys and all this stuff. She begins to prepare for what she knows is coming in a time period. And she begins to grow, and she begins to grow. And she goes nine months, finally and ultimately, becomes great with child, waddles around. But she has known for nine months that that dream, that vision, has a timer attached to it. And then finally, the baby is born. And when that baby is born, the house is filled with joy. And oh, isn't it the most beautiful baby you've ever seen in your life? There has never been another child that looks like this. And everybody else looks at it like, oh my gosh. But she's going, wow, he's so beautiful. She's incredible. Because that's the dream. That's the vision. But she had no problem waiting. Can I tell you, when God gives you a word, there is a time. And it's not for you to get discouraged. It's for you to get the room ready. It's for you to prepare your life. It's for you to gear up and prepare for the arrival of that dream because God's got to catch your character up to the promise so when the baby comes, you can handle it. So everybody say with me, there's a timing. The story of Isaac's birth shows that God is never early, He's never in a hurry, and He's never late. 25 years after they got the promise, The cry of Isaac split the air. Hallelujah. A third characteristic of God's best is God's best will come by God's power, which is unlimited. Paul points out in Romans 4.21 that Abraham believed God's promise because he was, quote, fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, here's where you and I have a problem. We say, but I can do it. Isaac and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah said, we can do this. We can have a child. God said, I don't want a child that way because I don't want you to be able to strut and say that you had anything to do with it. So Paul goes on to say that God wanted both Abraham and Sarah to be as good as dead physically so that when the child was born, only God could get the credit. You know why God waits till 1159 before he comes through with his promises for you and me? Because at 11.59, you have run out of strength. You are, you are on your face crying out to God. You have tried to bring it to pass, and you can't do it. And then God says, all right, now that you're at your weakest place, now I'm going to do it so there can't be any more strut. Can you imagine, 90 years old, Sarah wakes up in the tent and says, honey, something isn't right. Here's this old man. What do you mean something's not right? Something's not right. Now, she's never had a child. Think about this. 90 years old. Something's not right. Her female instincts told her that something was up, something was going on. She had never experienced it before. He said, well, what do you mean? You'll get over it. You're old. Woman, I'm old. Uh, If it ain't broke, if it ain't, listen, listen, with you and me, either either it's broken or it doesn't work. But she said, no, 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 something is going on. A 90-year-old woman began to show. Wow. She said, look at this. Now, they didn't have sonograms or enneagrams back then. You just knew. She began to show. And she showed more. Don't you know that Abe was out telling all the relatives, hey, come here. Look at this, my woman, 90 years old. 
Eight months, nine months at 90 years old. She's a happy, gray-headed woman. This, now, here's the deal. They couldn't say this was through our strength. Because the Bible is very specific and says they were dead. They were sexually, reproductively dead. Why did God do that? Because when that child was born, it was to the glory of God. God's best comes by God's power. The last characteristic, and I'm going to close with this, God's best will turn sorrow into joy. God's best will turn sorrow into joy. The the Bible says that we are told that Abraham and Sarah laughed in unbelief when God told them when he was 99 and she was 89, in a year you're going to have a child. Here's an 89-year-old woman, 99-year-old man. They laughed, but they didn't laugh in faith. They laughed in unbelief and in sorrow and heartbrokenness. Sort of like, God, quit telling us this. We are old now. It's over with. They laughed in unbelief. But when their son was born, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter filled that tent. The laughter of faith. The laughter of incredulity. The laughter of, of look at what God has done. We can't take the glory for this. God has done this. Look at this child. It was laughter. And what God will do with his best, he'll turn your sorrow into joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but seek God's best and joy will come in the morning. When God's best comes, it always stands you on your feet, puts a smile on your face, puts a skip in your step and a gleam in your eye. That's what God's best does. Now let me close with the bottom line. To follow Jesus Christ in true discipleship, you're going to have to learn to give up the good in order to achieve the best when God requires it. That means that some good things are going to have to go in order that better things may come. It touches on how you spend your time. This touches on your habits. It touches on the friends you hang around with. Some friendships may not be bad, but if they pull you in the wrong direction or keep you from going where you ought to go, they're not God's best. Sometimes God will say this to you, I want that thing to go because I have something better in mind for you. And you know what? More times than not, you do not understand why God did it. You have to wait and see. Abraham, think about it. Goodbye, Ishmael. Goodbye. God's told me he's going to take care of you. God's told me he's going to watch over you. But I got to let you go. Bye. Watched him until he couldn't see him anymore. Never saw him again. You don't know why that person, place, or thing had to go. But here's what you got to do. Bye. My God will take care of you. I trust you in his hands. But you're not for me. And then you go on for a while, 
not understanding. One day you wake up and you go, God saw what I couldn't see. He knew what I didn't know. Thank God I let go. Come here, Isaac. And Isaac grew up. And because of Isaac, you are saved today. Can you stand with me today? Here's today's message in a nutshell. The God of the Bible is the God who works out his own plan in his own time and in his own way for our very best. To choose that best is the best life you will ever live. And to choose the best is to glorify God. It's how you glorify God. How many of you know exactly what I was talking about today? And you're in a battle between good and and best. I see your hand. You know exactly what it's like to say goodbye. In a minute, I want to receive people who feel like they're, they're called to this church. You know, one of the parts of God's best will for every one of his children, I know this, is that you have a church home. And what we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to dismiss and as the people are going out, I'm going to stand here and if you feel like God is leading you to make Turning Point your church home, I want to meet you. I want to pray over you. And we're just going to be together right down here. Well, how do I know, Pastor Jeff? You know, because you have a deep peace in your soul. When you come here, you connect. You feel like our vision matches your vision. An amen comes up in you when you're here. God places people in church homes first service, we had several people come into this church family. Do you know since July the 8th, we've had 382 adults alone come into this church. Not including, not including children. Children would take it up to about 500. God's doing something. This second service, even with 65 of them gone, is about to be filled. we're, We're talking about a third in the not too uh, distant future. But you know why? Because God's got a best for us and we want to get the best together. And so I want to pray with you right now and I want to speak a blessing on you before you go. Can you do that? Would you bow with me for a moment? Now, Father, I pray for this precious congregation. Lord, I pray that you will help every one of them and me with them to reach for the best to wait for Isaac. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to glorify God in this city, shining brightly into the dark. I pray for those battling between good and best. I pray that, Lord, you will grace them to do what in the natural they can't do alone and to release what is not beneficial. 
I pray for those hooked on things, habits that are not the best. Grace them to let go. Grace them to let go of relationships that are hindering their walk. Grace them, Lord, and bless them exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask for or even imagine. And I bless you today with that benediction in Jesus' name. Amen. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand.